Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? Uh, Kirby can't complain. Uh, did a little uh, wrenching on the uh, on the race car uh, tonight. Felt good. Slight confession. I watched mostly as other people wrenched for me. <laughs> well, that's uh, more like it. Kirby, uh, nobody wants to hear about my car. Um, but everybody wants to hear about your impressions, uh, firsthand at the, uh, Indy GMR Grand Prix that occurred over the weekend. Uh, it was, a uh, a good day at the track. Good day to be out uh, in a crowd again. Uh, felt like a normal crowd for a Grand Prix being there. Looked um, okay on TV. You know, it, the, the crowd in the stands looked typical, but of course there was no crowd in the infield, so... Probably wasn't as big a crowd as it felt like to me in the grandstands. The only negative was that uh, there were a lot of different strategies going on, and it was really hard to keep track of uh, being there in person without the aid of TV and announcers and so on, keeping track for you. But Kirby, I'm glad you said what you said because it actually uh, ties in with a point I was going to make, and that is that that IndyCar race was the most F1-like race I've seen an IndyCar in some time. It was uh, a lot of strategy, you know, under, overcut, undercut, tires, when you put them on, um, all that uh, blended in. And watching it on TV, I was like, I think I've seen the show before, and it was an F1 race. Yeah. People I was watching the race with, you know, thought that VK was on some different strategy and would be uh, pulling into the pit sometime because being there in person, you thought that Grosjean had it well in hand and um and there were so many other drivers and cars on on strategies you know coming and going you know but a perfect example would be graham rahal because we all we all sat there and laughed when he took that second pit stop uh, on lap three and was a half a lap behind when the green flag flew and then at the end of the race to find out that he was fifth place and we just all of us walking back to our cars were asking how did he do that how did he make that kind of a drive you know because there were no more yellow flags and yeah. um what until i got home and and read up on things that uh figured out that he'd actually executed a a long you know two-stop strategy from uh, lap three there and um hard to be there in person and keep track of all those different things but uh, yeah now it's uh, almost one you had to watch on tv or at least have a scanner while you're there it's interesting you mentioned ray hall it's interesting more didn't try just a two-stop strategy going in you know it's they had plenty of data from you know what the three races last year as ray hall pointed out if they hadn't kind of come in that second time and put him 20 seconds behind i mean who knows he could have been at the front and so yeah i was a little bit surprised at how short some of the people's stints were and and why some of some people weren't attempting that um uh, off strategy kind of a result especially with the early yellow flag and then yeah the other thing being in the stands was we didn't have any idea that the red tires were so preferable uh to the blacks we were we were watching you know without the benefit of tv and thinking oh maybe they're doing these short stints to get off the reds and get to blacks because they'll you know last longer and uh turned out to be the opposite was true but it took us till you know almost the last stint to figure out that's what the teams were trying to do Curb that you do uh, again segue well into another point uh, that I was uh, wanting to make, and that is in the telecast uh, there were several references to what a, a genius strategist Dale Coyne was. 
Right, right. And I can't help but feeling like he might be a genius strategist when, you know, there's rain coming, you know, and he gets mm-hmm. Carlos uh, Huertas uh, up to <laughs> to win or to win a race, you know, in Houston. Right. Or he might be a genius strategist, uh, you know, when some kind of bizarre happenstance of yellows come through and, you know, he stays out while everybody else goes in and, and you know, he lucks into a win. OK, but I don't think you'll see Dale Coyne calling like an F1 race anytime soon, because as best I can tell, he he really kind of goofed uh, in how he played both the tires and the timing of both Grosjean's exit from the race and into the race. I mean, he he exited him. I think he went a, at least a couple laps too long on those tires and he put him back out into traffic uh after the stop i mean two big no-nos in uh, formula one supposedly giving themselves all sorts of policy or uh, um, strategy options by going so long in that first stint you know apparently they were able to continue to make good lap times even going so deep into the stint uh, that he wasn't giving up too much or he appeared not to be giving up too much track time to further back guys like vk we're taking advantage of their stints and whether it was good, good strategy or just good fortune. I'm not sure, but I think in a strategy race, you know, one of the uh, aspects of strategy is to not uh, pit your guy and then have him come out behind traffic. And that's exactly what he did. And he, he lost him the race. Well, he didn't really, seem to, didn't really seem to take advantage of whatever uh, opportunity in such a long percent gave him. Well, I, I look again. I don't want to belabor the point, but again, when you're pitting, one of the key considerations has to be what you are going to pit exit into. Well, especially so, when you have, when, especially when you give yourself that opportunity. I mean, there's times you yeah, don't have a choice. Right, but, like, but I, 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 you know, they have software on the stand that will tell them exactly that, and he, they blew it. I mean, they, they put him right behind people and. You know, whether or not those Reds had some life still on them and they give that's only half the equation. The other half of the equation is what are you going to exit them into? It was either a bad call or a bad execution. Curb, moving on. One of the things I think you and I were remiss not to mention in our last podcast is uh, Carlin didn't have a car on the racetrack at the <laughs> GP. Maybe uh, old man Chilton has let it be known this is it. We're not coming back next year, and there's no point in fighting for leader circle money or, or self-respect. I don't know what that it takes is. Because that takes him out of leader circle money, correct? Yeah, I thought you did. I mean, you could maybe try to make an excuse if it only happened one time. Um, you know, Max Chilton hasn't shown any reason to think he's going to rally the second half of the season and uh, and make a charge up the standing. They were holding out hope that he'd arrive sometime later on Friday or Saturday morning and and still be able to start in last place. Experienced and able drivers sitting on the sidelines there waiting to jump in a car, and they didn't bother to call him. And, uh, so well, like I said, unless things strange. have changed, I think that takes them out of the leader circle money. So you right. think for that alone they would have found somebody to jump in. I'm not buying the excuse in the first place, which seems very strange to me, right? Uh, something stinks there. I'm wondering if we're even going to see Bouncy Max at the uh, 500. I think we will, but after that, I'm not sure we're going to see Bouncy Max for the rest of the year. I wouldn't count on anything from that crew anymore. Yeah. 
And it's a shame because uh, there's a, a team with a great pedigree coming in, uh, of which a lot of people had hoped for. I think they just found it a very tough road to hoe here. So disappointing to see how their efforts go in the last couple of years. Yeah. Kirk, the other thing that happened last week, which uh, was kind of interesting, and I have a suggestion. Um, okay. Eddie Gossage has been shown the door at the Texas Motor Speedway. Perhaps the one last remaining proponent of IndyCar racing there. Um, right. I think he's I think it's fair to say he's either elected to find the door or he's been shown it. Well, I think he's been there 32 years. So I was a little bit surprised to see uh, some NASCAR commenters following an article about his retirement, you know, saying good riddance and blaming him for all the problems at the track the last handful of years since they did the repave and the and the reconfiguration. Do you think IndyCar should hire Eddie Gossage? Uh, it crossed my mind. But again, I'm more and more feeling like they need to skew younger rather than older <laughs> in how they run the series. So I might think twice about it. Oh, I hear you. But I mean, I think he is a good promoter. I, I just feel like maybe he's the kind of guy that maybe could uh, kind of get some of these oval tracks. Uh, he's 62 years old. Um, okay. So that's pretty young in this kind of sport for that type of thing. Uh, he might be a guy that can k- get some of these tracks going. Now, maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I don't know. I think he he might be one of those guys that IndyCar could lean upon to actually help him with some of the stuff. Because I know it's so hard. It's easy for me to sit here and comment about, you know, how poorly a job they're doing this and that. And the other thing, I think it's easy for both of us to do so. And it's it's always much harder when you're in, you know, at the coal face working, right? Yeah. Um but good people do sometimes make big, big differences. And maybe he's that kind of guy. Well, you know, if you wanted to um, identify some markets or some tracks where maybe you haven't been in a while that you want to get back to, you're going to have to put your own effort into making those work rather than relying on a, a local promoter. Maybe he would be a good guy to hire. And Might be. Curb, um, is it surprising to you now – the order of the Penske cars in terms of standings at this point. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd have asked me before the season started, it wouldn't be surprising, but uh, Will Power's good start to the season, I guess, had me hopeful that, um, you know, he was going to be able to maintain a top five position in the standings all season long. And uh, unfortunately the, uh, the bad Will Powers returned the last couple of races and dropped him in the standings behind, his rookie teammate McLaughlin. Yeah, I agree. He's created a fair amount of his own bad luck here the last few races for sure. Uh, he was back to his old ways uh, Saturday at the Grand Prix, starting 12th and finishing 11th, I think. So uh, apparently 12th is about where he deserved to be. Did you know, did you watch uh, qualifying? No, I did not. Ah, well, this is interesting. After uh, his, you know, basically spin and then he was disqualified from, you know, trying to qualify anymore. Right. He goes running up to his pit stand. And, of course, the cameras were right there. And he was dropping one F-bomb after the other. It was like there's no effing way his ride height, his front ride height is the same as mine. That I heard. So. Who is he? I think I know. Right? And why is he upset about it? What's he implying? Either New Garden or Scott I don't know which. I would think New Garden. Okay. Right? All right. 
he I mean, he was blasting his engineer. It really was a, an insight into like he clearly felt like somehow he was being wronged. Like his setup wasn't where it was supposed to be, and like maybe New Garden had a better one. And of course, after he had a moment to calm down, more than a few moments to calm down, he had this interview and he blamed himself. But he wasn't blaming himself when he went running up to that pit stand. Well, I'm sorry I missed that. That's a more compelling um, qualifying session than usual, it sounds like. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, he was at it. I mean, he was red hot. Red yeah, hot. Like he's got to focus on his own issues and not New Gardens. But, um, but yeah, that's interesting. Curb, um been a theme in our podcast lately. We, uh, we were tending to dwell on the negative. Who did themselves no additional favors uh, out of this race? The two obvious to me are uh, Hinchcliffe and Daly. You know, Hinchcliffe just continues to be in a, a non-factor from beginning to end. Even when he isn't being punted by uh, another driver, he just goes nowhere fast. You know, Connor Daly, um, again, being there live, wasn't quite sure why he couldn't get his car restarted. and uh, Stuck and, in between and, gears, I believe. And so on. But, um, you know, they I, I got home and watched the replay of that incident. And, you know, they're pointing fingers at Pagano because Pagano did uh, clip him there heading into that first turn. But uh, I know Connor Daly was lined up six on the starting grid and uh by the time they got down to the approach to turn one he was at best in eighth place and uh in line uh being you know ninth place and tenth place were out breaking him heading into the turn one so yeah somebody clipped you from behind but uh if you don't want to get stuck in a melee like that don't lose two spots in the first you know 400 yards of the start of a race after such a good qualifying performance he didn't need that kind of result late late in the race they announced that he had the fourth fastest lap of the race uh i'm gonna add three more in there curb uh real quick uh ryan hunter ray felix was rosenquist and ed jones well i was trying not to you know throw out three-fourths of the or a quarter of the field <laughs> here but uh, right. but yeah those those three were all non-factors ed jones you know felt pretty good for dale coin dale coin heading into the race to have pole and uh, ninth place he was kind of there in the first stint according to reports i read once he once he hit the black tires, he went backwards, and it was never heard from again. Interestingly, absent from uh, the top was uh, pretty much uh, Aerosmith, McLaren, or Arrow, sorry. <laughs> Schmidt. <laughs> what, what, what? Those guys. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, um, those guys uh, seem to be uh, nowhere. I mean, Montoya, you know, obviously back marker uh, – definition of a back marker if you will it was a little bit embarrassed for him yeah it was you know the one saving grace for him is is that it didn't seem like a ward or rosenquist were much better frankly no they were surprising uh, no shows um on saturday and hunter ray's hunter ray the way he's been the last couple of years and and i'll throw one more in there in that uh you know borday was also nowhere all weekend and, uh, they just weren't there the whole weekend yeah, and I think they were they had a fast race car in Texas. It seemed like you know from what yeah. little data you could assemble. So, yeah, they just uh, Foyt seemed to be back to their old ways. I'm just looking at a picture of uh, Simona de Silvestro curb. Yeah, her her you know pro, her celebrity shot I guess for the uh, IndyCar standings on yeah. IndyCar.com. I'm, I'm bracing myself. Yeah. <laughs> 
you need okay we were talking about her age uh last thing i didn't bother to look it up but i i think you might be right okay <laughs> wow you need to look at that picture okay i'll work on that and you also need to look at sage karen's picture who looks like he's been on a three-day bender I'm not kidding. Yeah, been on a, a drug-fueled three-day bender. Well, it's not good for him because uh, if he doesn't have his looks, then he doesn't have much left. And R.C. Enerson looks strangely close to uh, Tattoo from Fantasy Island. <laughs> okay. So go take, a look, well, go, go take a look at all those pictures on IndyCar.com if you want uh, – uh, well, I I just pulled up uh, Simona de Silvestre. I don't have her, don't have her uh, Indy 500 promotional photo here, but I do have her age at 32 years old. So maybe you were closer right than I was mm. on her age. Mm. Mm. So much I want to say here, but I won't. My, my wife thanks you. Yes. Mm. Right. Um. You do need to look at that picture of Sage Carol. <laughs> okay, I'll work on that. I will. Yeah, get, uh, get on IndyCard.com and look at those. I mean, wow. Okay. Curb, moving on. Qualifying this coming weekend. Uh, very difficult, I think. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Monday, so the, the practice hasn't even started yet. So it's very difficult at this point to make any definitive predictions in my opinion curb you may feel differently uh you know the the classic one uh chevy versus honda i can't see where either of them has stood out so far this year are you no uh you know honda and chevy split uh the races at texas and um so you know the only apparent question might be fuel mileage the only apparently uh difference to look for at this point and i don't think even the fuel mileage thing we have an inkling of yet um no not really six to four chevy to honda in the uh, standings right now and you notice there's only one andretti car in the top 10 in 10th yeah you know, they came on strong at the end of last season so you figured that they had uh, solved whatever issues that apparently were caused by the addition of the aero screen but uh, it has not carried over so far to the beginning of the season 2021 not a good start not a good start at all for such a supposedly powerhouse team did you happen to see becky hunter ray i, I did uh, not uh no not really no no uh infield access really uh for this yeah. race so that's a that's a crying shame look forward to the day yeah there you go there you go um curb we've gone this whole time without actually mentioning the winner of the indycar uh gmr grand p and that is none other than uh uh a person who I think it's fair to say you've been a bit dubious about. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I've probably been more of a proponent of uh, Renus VK. Uh, you know, great performance. There's no, I don't think you, even you, Curb, can dispute that. Uh, no, it's not nothing uh, to dispute here this time. A well-run race. A couple of ballsy passes there that uh, splitting the uh, Ganassi duo of uh, Palau and and uh, Jimmy Johnson was a pretty impressive uh, pass there. You know, his team called the right strategy, gave him a good car, and he executed flawlessly. 
hats off to VK. Hopefully he can uh, be a little more consistent this year than he was last year. And, um, um, and you know, hats off to uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, right? Haven't won a race since uh, Joseph Newgarden left the fold, you know, four or five years ago, however long it's been. Curb, when I'm looking through the pictures, on in, again, on IndyCar.com, there's three people that aren't smiling, that are not showing teeth. <laughs> Can you name them? Uh, before we go down to that uh, useless rabbit hole, I, I want to throw out one other thing there. How often do you have Ed Carpenter racing and uh, Dale Coyne racing at the top of the podium uh, on an IndyCar weekend? So, well, I think this whole year has been that, right? Five different winners, not all from A teams. Pretty good. Curb, there's three people not smiling. Who are they? Uh, well. One's an easy one. Juan Pablo Montoya? Nope, he's smiling. Okay. Will Power. You got one? Mr. Scowl. Um, Marco Andretti. Nope, showing a little bit of teeth. Not much. Well, then, uh, well, let's stop uh, wasting everybody's time and you give me the other two. <laughs> you don't like this game. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a new low, I think, for our, our, our podcast. <laughs> some, would, some would call it a new high. Some would say it's our finest moment. It's all a matter of perspective. Uh, Colton Herta, no smile, or, yeah. you know, not showing teeth, smile. And Mr. Laidback. I mean, you look at some of the smiles of these guys, it's so, like, they're trying so hard to smile, it looks, they look weird. So, I think, you know, it's not natural. Like some of these work. guys are not. Yeah, his is, yeah, his is like, <laughs> you know. Um, Rena's like, BK, his picture. <laughs> he's, he's, that's legit. He's he's Mr. Exuberance, so I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> the only uh, adjective I could describe for that look is orgasmic. And um, and that's a, guy, uh, that's a guy. That's a guy that's happy to be there and uh, living a good <laughs> life. Looks pretty happy. Yeah. And um, Ryan yeah. Hunter Ray. And Ryan Hunter Ray is the other guy. Curb. And in fact, Ryan Hunter Ray has a look that. I think I would describe and you would detest as smug. Yeah, I wouldn't go there. I think he's looking, um, you know, God, how long can I hang on here? <laughs> it's like, yeah, how long are they going to buy this act? Um, but, you know, now that you've made me look at this page uh, and you make fun of R.C. Enerson, but um, does Felix Rosenquist look like a, a man under 30? Um, <laughs> Is that the oldest looking 28 or 29 year old you've seen? He's, he's looking um, cherub like. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Pietro Fittipaldi, he looks every bit as old as Juan Pablo Montoya in his picture. Enough of picking on these guys. Thank God my picture's not up there. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, some of them are actually a little disturbing. <laughs> I don't know what light they're using or something, but it's, it's not complimentary. Mm-hmm. Curb, uh, any uh, qualifying predictions you want to make here? You you sometimes have your finger on the pulse in these things. Last year there were were there any Penske's in the Fast Nine? Well, I think we really missed the boat last year because we did not see the whole Honda Chevy thing coming. Well, I think it was VK that was the only Chevy in the Fast Nine, wasn't it? Correct. So let's just say uh, over under how many how many Penske's are in the Fast Nine this year? Uh, over or under one and a half. Over. Over. Yes. So I'll, I'll give you New Garden. Who's the second Penske that you're counting on to put you over the top? Power. There it is. I'm, 
I'm a little dubious. I might stick with one. Well, we've had five races, five winners, Curb, um, and as I've already, I've bet on three of these races so far and have not won a dollar, which I think somewhat speaks to the uh, lottery aspect of it that you referred to in the last podcast. I think this year, like, very difficult to, to make these calls. What do you think, uh, Ray Hall, Fast 9 or no? Right now, I'm looking at Ray Hall as, like, somebody I, I would put some money on for the win. So, yeah, I think I think so, yes. What about Sato? I'd put, you mean it was Fast 9? Yeah. Mm. Front row last year. Yeah. If he could repeat, he'd be the first driver since uh, Helio Castroneves in the early 2000s. Apparently they have a, a standing offer to pay a bonus to the next to a driver that would win back-to-back 500s, and it's kind of like skins in golf. Every year it goes up if nobody collects. Built up to $380,000, so it must be twenty grand every year that uh, keeps going into the kitty till you get a back-to-back winner. Mm. you got to be careful that you don't fall into the same trap that um, – like they does where everybody's a contender. Yeah. Looking back last year, I don't think his average finishes were much different than they have been this year before the 500. So um, he's still somebody to be reckoned with when they get to the speedway. And, you know, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan's got uh, Santino Ferrucci too. So I, I might be more confident in um, Ray, Hall, Ray Hall Letterman landing and getting more than one driver in the fast nine than I am Penske, which is kind of strange yeah, to say. That is kind of strange. Well, I got to tell you, if he can get up to a competitive speed this week, um, you know, if he can show that he's in the ballpark despite his double chin, I think I'm still saying Wa Pablo Montoya is the guy you should put your money on. Uh, I'll take your money if you want to put put down the bag. Well, I mean, I, given that he's going to have, I think, fairly extreme odds, I'm telling you, the guy knows his way around that track, and he hasn't forgotten that. So if he can get himself up to speed, which he obviously couldn't at the Grand Prix track, I would not count him out. Well, I mean, you know, the same thing could apply to, to Helio, right? He'll no, be... I, that's precisely my point. I don't think it applies to Helio. I think Helio is done. Can't say I agree with you there. I think in an Andretti-affiliated car, um, usually – they're very good at the 500. I think all the caveats that apply to Montoya's ride in terms of pulling everything together applies to Helio's ride, too. All right. Well, we'll agree to disagree on that point. You know, he was not impressive the last, at least the last couple 500s, if memory serves. No, I, that's true. Penske was nowhere last year pretty much as a team. Okay. Well, uh, we will have time to debate this one more time. Before the big race. Well, welcome. Uh, wind up to the show here for us and our listeners. Let's wind it up and wish everybody a good week and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully a fun weekend at the Brickyard. Thanks for listening, everybody.